This is Deep Blue, where we get the true life stories of BYU athletes, coaches, and fans. Here's your host, Jerem Jordan. On today's show, I talked with a coach who has been at BYU for 30 years, coaching numerous PGA Tour winners, players, conference championships, getting to NCAA tournaments regularly. He has done it all, and he can still swing the sticks. He is men's golf coach, Bruce Brockbank. Bruce, what's up, man? How you doing? Doing great. You know, it's uh, that time of year we're getting the golf season started, so it's uh, when the sun's shining, we're always excited to get out and get going. And you guys get to do what everyone wants, flee the snow and go to warmer weather. We do have that. <laughs> we do have that privilege. We, you know, most of our tournaments out of the 12, 13 that we play each year, all of them are on the road except for the Cougar Classic. So we get to go to the warm weather areas quite often. And then what, April at Riverside and Provo? You bet. That's April always nice. And, April and May, June, Riverside, and then, uh, you know, love to play up in Park City at those courses in the fall. So we're pretty blessed for sure. Is men's golf coach the best coach to be? I'm not talking the financial part of this. That would be football. I'm talking the you get to hang out at the golf course all the time and, and, and play yourself probably sometimes. Is this awesome? It is the best job on the <laughs> campus for sure. And it was even better when Coach Tucker had it because he was the ski school director. Oh, wow. And I did do that for a little while, but they've since taken away uh, that part. So just in the last five years. But I kind of, for my first 25 years, I was involved in the ski program when there was snow on the ground and then the golf coach. But, you know, we kind of keep that under, you know, we keep that really private just so people don't know. But, yes, I, I well, think now I it's have, we, we probably <laughs> have one of, I, I have one of the best jobs on campus and uh, very fortunate to have it. Tell me about being a ski school instructor. What we do is we have skiing, snowboarding, and cross country that comes out of, when I first started, it was physical education, and it's um, the ski class, and you can sign up for any one of those three, and we have an orientation on on campus, yep, and then we bus them up the second week, and from the second through the, the seventh week, the kids get into their classes and they learn, you know, whether you're um, never on skis, snowboard, uh, and then, like I said, cross country. And they will, the Sundance instructors will teach the, the kids. And it's one of those hidden gems on campus that you can take a ski class. Mostly the upper level students will take it. It's just to kind of get away and refresh. But um, it's a great class that um, really fun to be involved with. That's amazing. So is it still going on? It's just not part of your gig anymore? Correct. Yeah, about four or five years ago, they turned it over to um, somebody else in the recreation program, and so they run the ski school. But Carl Tucker, who coached for 30-plus years also at BYU, who was my coach, he started the ski school, and you know when he got to where he was kind of phasing out, I would run it for him for three or four years, and then I just kind of fell into the same thing he was doing. And we'll get into all these timelines and talk a lot about Carl um, on the program here today, but was this in the early 90s at this point, late 80s? Oh, no. When you took way over? Before, yeah. Oh, way before I, that. Yeah. Well, I was helping him when I was a um, – I graduated in 88 or finished my eligibility, and then uh, from 88 to 92, I was his assistant – and uh, fortunately for, for me, when he retired, they, they hired me. And, and through that whole time, I had been 
skiing with coach, playing golf with coach, and then playing for coach, and we just had a great time. What an awesome life. <laughs> skiing, skiing and golfing your whole life. Like, like, like when people die, I want to be like, what, how was your life? Like, where did you live? What did you do? You know, I want to talk with people throughout the, the eons of time here on the earth. They'll be like, what did you do? You'll be like, well, there was a thing called gol- golf. You just hit a, a ball with a stick. That was fun. Um, and, and then, you know, we'd slide down on the mountains. That was what I, that was what I did. That's like the greatest life I could possibly imagine, Bruce, honestly. That's why I said it's, one of, it's, it's probably one of the best positions you could ever have on campus because that's, that's what I've done for 30 years. Okay, so can you snowboard too? Did you snowboard no, as part of No, I'm just a skier. You're a skier. I have not snowboarded yet, snowboarded yet or tried it, Yeah. but I still would like to get out and do that. I'm waiting for mm. one of those two-foot powder days <laughs> to get if, on a snowboard. The problem is you have to get out of your driveway, and then by then all the energy has been used. For sure. <laughs> That's for sure. Let's got a nice snowblower. I'm working on that. Okay, so um, let's start from the very beginning here. It's a very good place to start, the sound of music. Um, you're from here locally, are, are yes. you not? Yep. Okay, Provo specifically? Yeah, huh? Provo High? Yep. Tempview High. Tempview, okay. Yep. Give us a sense of the Provo Tempview rivalry back when you were in high school. This is the 80s, right? Yes. Are we playing, are we playing games in the Marriott Center, right? Yes, we At are. At this point? Yeah. They don't do this anymore. I was uh, watching from the stands when it was going on, but it was quite a rivalry. Provo High, you know, having their run with uh, everybody, winning state high school championships. And then Is the, Devin Duran in high school at this point? Uh-huh. Around the same time? I, re- I remember that name and then remember him from BYU. But, yes, that, that group and uh, many others that were, you know, and then down the road was the Santiago's and some of those that were at Provo High School. But, Kevin uh, and yeah, Brian. They used and, to, yep, yep. They used to put a whooping on us, and then the T-Birds started showing up and got a little bit tougher in football, and then basketball, it was a little bit more of a game, and, and uh, you know, then I'm always going to talk about the golf team. I think at uh, one point we had seven state high schools in a row, so we just had that. Um, it was always a great rivalry between, the you know, the Bulldogs and the T-Birds, and uh, still is, but uh, it, was, it was really fun to grow up in the, in the Provo area. Spencer and I, one of the first things we did and together was call some Provo and Timfew High School basketball and football games. This was really fun for us. One time at a Timfew game, one of the Provo High School kids, this is in the mid-2000s, brought a dead chicken, uh, a bird, not a thunderbird, but a bird, and just threw it on the court in the middle of a basketball game. And they had to stop the game, clean it up. I was like, what is this rivalry? It's crazy. It could be crazy. Yeah, it definitely could be crazy. <laughs> and there's been a lot of things happen that I'll just go ahead and leave alone. <laughs> there was an onside kick up 50 from Timview against Provo one time because a kid got reported and they were mad and the violate whatever. Anyway, Provo Timview, it runs deep, right? Um, okay, how many kids are in your family? What was life like growing up here? I uh, let's see. All of us played golf. My dad and mom, we we uh, they built a house in the river bottoms out there, and and so. We moved around quite a bit in elementary school. I think I went to four elementary schools, and we just and we lived in the river bottom. All in Provo? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. and we didn't move out of the house, and I went to Edgemont Elementary, then to Cascade over in Orem, and then to Hillcrest, and then I went to both Orem Junior and Fair, and then finally to Tempview High School, which I started and finished there. Mm. How did that so, shape you? Because I moved a bunch as a kid, and my wife claims I'm crazy because of this. But there's also a certain element of uh, development that happens when you move and you have to be the new kid and stuff like that. Well, I was the oldest. Um, 
it, I think at times um, it was pretty hard, you know, because you never really have it's, you know, the same friends and you're always making new friends, which was a positive thing. But, um, you know, I, w- I was always pretty shy and quiet and, you know, and kind of hang back until I had to say something. Um, but so that were some of the effects. But I, you know, I loved the, the people in Provo and in Orem, the kids that I met, had a lot of friends and still have them now to this day. Um, my siblings, I, my brother Chris and then Stephanie and Scott all played golf and we all played for Tint View. And then a lot of our friends, the Eggertsons, the O'Briens, the Stangers, and I'm leaving a few out. We, we just had a great run. We had a great golf professional, Bill Corns, who won, I think, five, six, seven state amateurs, was our golf professional. He was really good with the kids. And um, so when we, we just, we had that, we had the support at the club as well as uh, our high school coach, Barry Olson. Uh, we just, you know, that group of kids, I think we had at that time, there were six or seven of our guys that were um, scratch golfers. And, and I'm sure there were other teams like that, but it was the first of its kind, uh, at least in my mind, where you had every one of your guys that could shoot hmm. under par. That's pretty so, good. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of a... That was the Brockbank family, and, and uh, we loved being at Tempview. So are your parents the ones to kind of initiate golf, is that, or is it some friends that are playing? Like, how does that start? That's a great question. You know, my dad grew up in Salt Lake. Uh, um, they were all into real estate and, and contractors, his family, and he decided, you know what, I'm going to go to Utah Valley and try something different. Uh, I think he played four or five sports in high school. In fact, uh, he played for um, Coach Tucker in junior high when mm. Carl was just c- kind of getting started. Wow. And um, Where was this? This was at, let's see, uh, I want to say Granite Junior High. So out on the west side in Salt Lake Valley? Yeah. Gotcha. Well, it's on the Is east, that where? Side. east side. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking, um, and I'm thinking I may be route. wrong, yeah. um, but anyway, that's where he started. I think he kind of got a little bit of a taste of the golf. But when he came down here, his first thing was to figure out how he was going to uh, stay busy. Join the club. He started getting to know some of the BYU golfers back early in Carl's career, and he just fell in love with it. And then uh, that it kind of. Um, he used to bring the, the BYU team, the players over all the time. And so when I was seven, eight, nine years old, you're hanging with uh, these guys. I'm hanging with these guys. And then I was caddy for with caddy for them in the Cougar Classic mm. way back when, when they'd let you have a caddy. So, I mean, I've, I've known the BYU golf program or parts of it since I was eight years old. So are you ever caddying for like Johnny Miller or... You know, some of these guys pictures, like. Yeah, I don't think I ever, I was a little bit behind Johnny Miller, but I knew Mike Brannon. I knew Mike I, and Mike Reed, uh, Pat McGowan, and I I have pictures of caddying for those guys. And I got That's to be awesome. where I was early teenager yeah. and knew Bobby Clampett really well. But mm. I mean, there's so many guys that have, you know, um, come along that have been 
you know, that's where I hung out every day because I just absolutely loved being around the golf course and playing the game and, and especially to be influenced by so many of the BYU players. That's what, you know, as a young kid, that's what I wanted to, to do was play at BYU. So early on, you know, like how old are you when you're like, hey, I want golf to be a part of my life, like a big part of my life? I, I would have to say when I was, I would say eight years old, but definitely by 12 years old when I could play uh, the course on my own. Mm. You know, you had to be a certain uh, age and then you had to pass the player ability test, if you will, at the club, just a little, you know, a junior golf thing. That's when I could start hanging out there full time. And so I was kind of, I was stuck when I was about 12 because that's all I wanted to do. You're eating it up. Eating it up. Are you playing other sports as well and this is your first love or is it like all in golf? I was, uh, you know, I was playing baseball at the time. Loved basketball. Uh, a little bit slow all the time. But, uh, you know, I did play baseball up until I was about 17 years old. Uh, I was a pitcher, a shortstop. Didn't throw it very hard, but uh, loved a little bit of baseball. But it was it was quickly fading away as I got a little bit better at playing golf. Were you pretty good? Because generally we like what we're good at. So, you know, I, I can't ski worth anything. I don't go skiing. I'm not like, yeah, you know what I do? I ski. No, I, I'm terrible at it. When were you realizing, hey, I'm actually good at this? Going back, you know, we had a we, our golf professional there. He was really good with all the members' kids. He was keeping us busy. Where is he this? He was challenging us at Riverside at Country Riverside. Club. So yeah. you grew up at Riverside. Grew up at Riverside. You're still at Riverside. Still at Riverside, and uh, you know, and and to be able to hang out with the guys on the team. And like I said, I had a bunch of friends. That's just what we did. And when we were home practicing, we were there. And um, and when we were out competing, it would be a carpool, and one of the moms would drive with six or seven of us, and we would head up to the Utah Junior Golf Tournaments, and that's where we would be. And then if there was time at the end of the day, we'd be back at the club and practicing and, and um, just doing what we could. So was the game okay? I would say that when I got to be 14, 15, I was really adamant about uh, trying to play Division One golf, and that's it was really close to when Carl won his national championship. So eighty one, yeah, we were right around. Uh, you know, I'd have to say that was um, seventy eight, seventy nine is when I really thought, you know, maybe I'm gonna give this a shot. You're kind of eighth, ninth grade at this point. Yeah, pretty Ten, impressionable. Tenth grade, yeah, tenth a sophomore grade. looking at hey, B, and are you all in BYU? Oh yeah, you're all in. All in. And, and was the that's when Ainge when was Ainge doing his 80, thing? Yeah, I mean, I remember. I, I tell my all my kids. I tell my wife after every game. I said, "This is where my dad and I would take off after Ainge would score thirty points, and we'd run down from the Marriott Center, go down to the parking lot at the, you know, uh, Lavelle Edwards Stadium, which wasn't then at that time, but we'd run down where there was perfect weather, snow, whatever. And I and I just remembered I was you know my chest was out and I was going to come to BYU and sports, whatever it was. We just a couple weeks ago had a conversation about 2021 and where it fit in the best years in BYU athletics. 81 was the year that came up in the conversation in the top five because it's McMahon's senior year. I think BYU loses one, maybe two games that year in football. Obviously, Ainge and the shot against Notre Dame and going to the Elite Eight. It's the best basketball team BYU's ever had. In that game, by the way, against Notre Dame, there's like 10 NBA players. It's like mm-hmm. ridiculous. Um and then obviously golf, winning the first 
team national championship, I believe, in BYU yes. history, which is yep. special. And the and only s- one. And s- and the only one. So many. It's the '84 football. It's the '81 for men's golf, right? The the uh, the albatross you're trying to chase, right? Um, it's a special time, and you're a sophomore, and and BYU, of course, is a spot. It sounds like, right? Yeah, for sure. And yeah. and that influence of your dad, and and I guess Carl is a oh, yeah. figure in your life. Like, for sure. what's the relationship there yeah, at that point? You know, I just knew. Uh, uh, like I said, he was. These guys were over at the house all the time. But they didn't have to come to the house because I was always at the golf course, and you know you'd go to them and they'd come to you. Oh yeah, they <laughs> took a liking to my dad, and um, what, you know, um, I guess what was your dad? Uh, you know, what, what was it with the program that he? What involvement did he have? He just, you know, he was one of the guys at the club who was very supportive to the team. Big fan. Yeah, big fan, gotcha. and uh, he was going to do everything that he can. And there was a time where he started managing golfers or professional athletes for a little while mm. so he was you know and he got mad a little bit and but there was uh he just it, it was one of that was kind of the thing you know carl was did an incredible job the athletes that he had coming in during those times you know from johnny miller uh, mike taylor those guys started that tradition and uh, you know we've tried to continue that for you know up until this day uh there was some really talented golfers and so it was easy for you to kind of say wow I want to hang out with these guys or be around them and so you know there's a lot of things that have changed um, but you can still that's your way of getting to these athletes is to go play golf with them sometimes that's amazing and playing golf with someone's one of the best hangs ever sure you can learn a lot about a person playing golf can you not that is for sure (laughs) How competitive you are, whether you gamble. That that might be why they were so drawn to my dad, because he had a temper and he could do some pretty crazy stuff with a golf club. So that was part of the conversation. And, you know, that carried on in the family as well. I just had to tone it down a little bit as I was as I grew up. Do you have the same temper? Oh, yeah. It's it's in there. But I've 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 learned to uh, try to tone it down when it needs to be toned down. Yes. Pretty competitive. Yes. Well, to be a D1 coach. Can't be that passive, right? No. You got to want to win. You got to hate to lose more than you want to win sometimes, for right? For sure. For sure. Okay, so you're in high school. You're at Timfield. You're living the dream. You're like, this is awesome. The guys are coming up. Danny Ainge is the Jim McMahon. This is like one of the best times. I, You know, in our conversation, 81 was definitely top five. Initially, I started at 81 being the best ever. I cooled off from that a little bit, and I thought, you know what? 2021, given the Big 12 invite, given – you know, football going eleven and uh, you're sorry. You know, this last year ten and three, and basketball doing its thing, and soccer and cross country individuals. And tra- I think twenty one was the best year ever. I don't know. The Big Twelve kind of puts it over the top. For I don't sure. know how you feel. You've seen in that forty year span as a uh, a fan slash mm-hmm. you know member of of the Bureau Athletic Department here as a coach those realms. What do you think? Like was twenty one. One of the best, if not the best? Yeah, it's... 81? It's Where do you definitely... I mean, for golf, obviously, right. you know, Carl had, what, he had five or six runner-ups. Um, he was biting at the... You know, he was he was really close for a lot of years. And so, for the golf program, that was a big deal. Um, and then he just continued to get really, really close and had many chances. And for whatever reason, finished second instead of first. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that was big, but I, you'd have a hard time convincing anybody that 21's not the greatest year just because of, I mean, 
everything that was going on, our administration, Tom, just the way it played out, it, it kind of, for me, being here for so long, it blows you away. Because two or three years before that, you're wondering, you know, because you got things moving so quickly and we're kind of in this independent mode and you're wondering, well, what's going to happen? And then, boom, all of a sudden it blows up and things just start happening. And, and uh, I, 21's got to take the cake. That's saying a lot. Yeah. That's saying that's, a lot. You got to remember, though, that's just that's coming from a, a little old golf coach. So. <laughs> You've seen all these years, which has been awesome. Um, let's take a side road right here. Give me a sense of what it's like to be a head coach in the athletic department with Tom at the helm, mm-hmm. especially given what this athletic department chose to do in COVID, which is we're not going to sit back. We're going to be aggressive and do everything we can to compete. And BYU has thrived since that moment. That was, that was one of the best decisions that ever happened. It, it really is amazing. In fact, I found myself in the last two weeks talking about it quite often because people will ask that question. In fact, this morning in our team meeting, I told the guys, you know, we're talking about the COVID and the protocols and things that are happening right now, and we're trying to try to stay in the game and, and prepare our kids. And you got half of them that are, you know, that they're so frustrated they can't see straight, and the other guys have kind of prepared themselves a little bit. And, and how I had to end it was I went right with Tom, and I said, you got your athletic director who's sticking his head out every single day for you guys to help you get where you want to go and to be able to compete. So if he asks you to do something, you do it. And I said, my conversation today is because of what I heard yesterday in our staff meeting. So that's the guy I'm going to follow. So pay attention. And that gets their attention. Because the other parts are, you know, before I said that, there was a whole lot of, you know, guys that have this opinion or they heard this or, you know, all kinds of stuff going on with this issue. And, and who really knows? On the other hand, you better follow the guy that's leading the pack, and that's, that's your AD, and he's, what he's done the last two or three years is off the charts. And every school can handle this how they want to handle it. I'm not trying to say there's a right or wrong way to do this, but I do feel like BYU said, we're not looking to not compete. We're looking to compete as, and be safe. Right. For sure. Um, and I, I get the sense, you know, uh, that some schools BYU's interacted with, they don't actually want to play some of the games. It feels that way. I might be wrong. This is just me. But I appreciate that, especially in football, that led the way. BYU said, no, nah, we're going to be the only team making this happen. And actually being independent came through for BYU. Like if BYU's in the league and they say, no, you got to just do what you got to do. You, you're in that league. Right. But being independent was actually a godsend. Last year, and then all the other sports got playing in the spring, and okay, away we go. And then they go 11-1. and one. They kind of said, all right, this is how it's going to be. Everyone else follow. And everyone did. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable how it played out because, you, you know, you got schools that are pretty big time close by, and they can't figure out when their next game's going to be. And we're down here playing, and you got a quarterback that's just lighting it up everything else going on and we just keep on winning it was uh it was really exciting it it uh i mean i'm in south carolina when that football team won that national championship in 84 on my mission but that didn't make one ounce of a difference i'm trying to stay focused and do the work but i'm so excited i can't see straight because it's just been born and bred in you know in this body for byu athletics (laughs) (laughs) i love that okay so you're in high school you want to come to BYU. How, how does high school go with golf? And then, uh, you know, what's it like to actually sign and 
and start to play a BYU? Well, it was, you know, obviously I knew that I had to improve. And so one of the things that um, I tried to do as a young golfer is to develop work and, and be the hardest working guy out there. And um, I started shooting some scores, winning some tournaments. There was some great competition. I mean, I can give you all the names that were, grew up in Salt Lake. One of them was Steve Schneider, one of my teammates. I was going to say, who'd you beat, to, Bruce? It was, it was <laughs> well, again, and if, if there was one that was probably better than most, and that was Stevie Schneider in that age group. You had Craig Wiles, you had Clark Garso. There's a bunch of guys that we played golf with. And um, we just, you know, were trying to get really good at the game and shoot the lowest scores. And, and I really think, I, I don't know, I, I think if there was one thing that uh, provided me the chance to play at BYU, it was just my determination and how hard I worked. Because Carl knew that I would figure out a way to, to be, uh, you know, to compete. And my first year was just one of the, you know, like a, just building. I think I played four events. They were all JV events except for the Cougar Classic, and we won every one of them. Um, and then the Cougar Classic, the first team won, second team was second. I was on the second team. But I think I averaged, I think I shot 70, 70, 70 and finished in the top five. Mm. And it, or let's go top 10, and then I'm not lying. Um, top three but it was, it was one of those things that uh, was. I, I just felt really good about it, and uh, Carl, you know, he took the team that he should have taken. They went and won the conference championship. I went on a mission, came back, and from that point on, things had changed a little bit in the recruiting and the competitive part of it, but we had two first-team All-Americans, and it was me and Jonathan Baker, Steve Schneider, Bill Nickel, Jamie Harper, um, Bob Call, some of those guys, and, and uh, it was almost like that. When I came home, I played three years straight, and I was, I was just a decent college player. I turned into a, a, a little bit better than decent because, you know, I snuck on one of those All-American teams, uh, but that was my senior year. But I can remember I had a 76 scoring average, 74, and then my senior year, 72 average, and, mm. and those were pretty good. Nowadays, that doesn't even get you top 400. Um, so I wow. kind of throw that out a little bit. But th that's kind of the – those are the steps. And, and, you know, I had a decent relationship with Carl and did when I was a junior golfer. And, and he just said, hey, you're going to come play golf here. And, and I was only recruited from one other team. And, and like I said, it was kind of like just a privilege for me to get a shot. And then the way it worked out to be able to play so much those last three years were um, – it was amazing. I want you to recruit a kid nowadays named Bob. It just doesn't exist, it feels like. Hi, I'm Bob Johnson. You were, what? You were born 18 years ago and your name's Bob? That's interesting. Just a Robert that goes by Bob. I just, I just don't hear it. Um, and then tell me about, you know, in other sports we talk a lot about, come back from a mission and being able to play that sport. How is it with golf, with a return missionary? Because it's not a thing you can go do on a PD, I don't think. Maybe you can. Maybe your mission president is cool. I don't know how it works. Um, What's it like to get back into that hand-eye coordination and that, that whole situation? You know, uh, that's a great question. In my 30 years as a coach, I, this is what I've seen with missionaries. They'll either come back and they get their game back really quick and just kind of, you know, and, and slowly get better. That doesn't happen too often. Those are the guys that have just really good feel, uh, and there's maybe – 
There's a few of those. Then you come back, you play pretty good, and then you hit this little bit of a dip, and boy, do you dip, and then it, you just got to grind, 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 and come back out of it, and then your game comes back. And then you have the one that comes home, and they just can't find it, but they just keep digging and digging and digging, and, and I can tell you, I can go back, and I can look at rosters, and I can, and I'll chuckle and say, well, there's a kid right there that I love how passionate he was because it took him almost a year and a half. Mm. Danny Summerhays, perfect. We just, mm-hmm. you know, he's our volunteer assistant. We just put him on. Oh, is he? That guy was That's ready. Fun. He's one of those things where he he's a guy that he's going to play golf or be a doctor. Okay. Let's just, those were the two options, uh, you know, as he's coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, he's going to play golf. So anyway, he <laughs> comes home from his school. mission, and we take him on a foreign trip. And, and, I mean, he can't find it. He's hitting it all over the place. And he's telling me, I'm done. And I said, Whoa. We, we just got home. But, I, you know, you, you have to walk these kids off a cliff a little bit because sure. they don't, just because they come home, Golf should come back, and you should be shooting low scores and whatever. And, Where are and my even, blessings from yeah, the mission? <laughs> there you go. Like, it You've heard that say. one before. Yeah, yeah, well, anyway, yeah. that plays out quite often. And, and uh, I mean, Danny can tell you stories where for a year he wouldn't even hit it off a tee because he was afraid it wouldn't. he was hitting it off the deck. His first year back from, his in, from uh, a mission, he's wow. hitting it off the deck. And I think he finished in the top 10 in Albuquerque the first tournament back, and he never used a tee. Oh, my. So, he's um, got the yips sort yeah, of in yeah, the box. Yeah, a little bit. Patrick Fishburne, same thing. He came Ginger home. Quake. That's what we like to call Yeah, it. the guys that hit it hard and whatever, they yeah. couldn't keep it on the earth. And so they're uh, – it's hard to shoot a good score when you can't find your tee ball. But you know, those are, those oh, are know kind that. of the things. Yeah, <laughs> Those are kind of the things that those missionaries come back. And we have a young man right now that, um, you know, Zach Jones, who just won the Coral Canyon Amateur last weekend. Um, it's really cool to see because he's one of those guys where we feel like he can really move the needle, right? And um, he came home. And, you know, not to put any more pressure on anybody, but I was expecting him to come in and play and, you know, and we're going to ride off in the sunset, if you will. And, and he hasn't been able to, you know, it's been really, really hard for him. Sure. And so to see him shoot those scores and win last week is, is uh, I'm pretty excited for him. But every kid's so different in what happens when they come home. When you leave, this game's being played at such a high level now. So many good athletes. Um it just takes a little time to get back and, and be competitive. It's all the sports, man. Every one of it them. It takes a sec. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I respect every return missionary that has to figure that out. And if there's different challenges in every sport. And now women's sports have it, uh, you know, different than they've ever had it with the church a couple years ago saying, okay, you can go, you know, at age 19. So the women's soccer team has five. Yeah. Hey, Jen Rockwood. Welcome to Google Sheets. You know, she's got to got to manage that. That's tougher, right? Yeah, and the recovery back and the whole deal, yeah. So it's good. Um, speaking of, let's go down that route. So Ashton has been playing on the women's soccer team the last couple of years. Uh, by the way, how many kids do you have? Four. Four. Three all, girls and all, a boy. All athletes like Ashton? Or yeah, is she... they all uh, – well, you know what? My son, who's the oldest, he's a golfer, loves to play golf. Um and my first daughter, she was a cheerleader, loved that, and tumbling. And uh, Mackenzie and Ashton both played soccer, and they loved it. That's and, amazing. And Mackenzie plays on a club team over at uh, UVU. So oh, nice. Goes to school here and plays over there. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. 
Okay, Ashton, I've gotten to know just from calling some of the games over the years. Um, tall, dynamic midfielder. She was fantastic. What was it like to watch her career and then ultimately culminate in the greatest team BYU's ever produced, going all the way to the national championship game and PKs? Well, let's give credit where credit's due that you got to give it to Ashton Brockbank. No. But <laughs> <laughs> the beauty of all that, she played on some unbelievable teams and uh, so many great athletes. And, and uh, from, again, like I said, when we were talking before this, she absolutely loved her teammates from, you know, Elise Flake to, uh, you know, there were six or seven seniors on that team after her first year. And that was really, really hard for Ashton to watch those kids go. Um, and then, or maybe it was the first or second year, I can't remember, but they went, I think they lost in the Elite Eight to Stanford. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's kind of changing, changing over the guard. The new kids came in, and 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 it was fun for her to be able to kind of be one of those upperclassmen, if you will, and play kind of a unique role of not playing a whole lot, but yet still trying to help the kids along. And then watch this team continue to grow and do what they did last year was just incredible. It's been, you know, it's funny because Ashton used to dance when she was six or seven years old with, you know, that was a group thing in our neighborhood. And um, a guy came along. His name's Eric Brady. He coached at Timview for a while. Uh, he came into the house and says, hey, we want your daughter. to. We just want her to play soccer. And, you know, the coach in me is going, nah, don't come and tell me what we're going to do. We're not doing this with my daughter. We're going to she's going to do everything. And then I started kind of warming up to it. And my wife, Lisa, you know, we just we kind of went along with it. She was dancing and played soccer. And then we just said, hey, Ash, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to play soccer. I'm done dancing. And I said, no, wait a second. Is this your coach? Your coach been talking to you lately or, you know, what do you? And so long story short, everything else was done playing soccer. And wow, she just had great teammates year after year after year. They end up winning a state high school, a runner-up. McKenzie and Ashton play on the same team at Timview. So we've had just an incredible ride. And then for her to end up at BYU the last four years while I was here or, or and being here, Lisa and I have just, it's been one of those things where I don't know that you could write the script any better. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Now, you're a coach here, so it's not like you have free weekends to just go watch her. Every second, right? Sometimes <laughs> no, there were conflicts. Granted, the fall is a little easier than the winter there. Um, but, yeah, what was that like in terms of, well, shoot, I have a tourney with the guys. I, gotta, I can't be at this game. Well, you, you know, <laughs> you, first priority, you got to be with uh, – you got to go with the team when yeah. it's your responsibility and you go. Uh, but, you know, fortunately enough, it just seemed like uh, a lot of times we were in town when the – you know. The soccer team was at home. You emailed Jen before the season to coordinate <laughs> yeah, schedules. Yeah, that's what we were doing. <laughs> and uh, but it was it was we got to see a lot of the home games, away games. I wish we would have done a little bit more, but uh, we didn't do that. So just part of uh, being a collegiate coach. Do you wear a hat every day besides Sunday? Not always, but you know now that I'm starting to lose my hair a little bit and a little more gray <laughs> hair, it's 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 coming out a little more, more often. Yeah, because in I'm golf you you wear a hat a lot. Yeah, you right? got to do that. Yeah. There's sure. certain coaches on campus, like you're in the all-hat club. Mike Littlewood probably wears a hat like every day, although that guy's got good hair. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's got some good hair. Um, if you're Kalani in the summer, you can kind of wear that, like, ham out in the garden pulling weeds deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mark Pope's not wearing a hat too much, I don't think. Chooses to shave his head. I don't know what the deal is there. 
Um, you know, I, I, if my head wasn't so round and didn't have such a there, concave, you know, I must have got hit pretty hard when I was younger. But it just, I don't know that it's going to go well when it's bald. But <laughs> I'm going to try it one of these days. Yeah, some people have, you know, it works. Yeah. Um, do you have access to more hats than most people? Because you're a golf coach? Yeah. And you're yes. wearing a ping hat right now. Let's just get that, Fortunately, spo- that sponsorship we, we, in there. Yeah, we, we've got uh, – I've been pretty fortunate with the hat collection, yes. I need to hit you up. Um, it's a Nike school, but with golf, there's some other nuances there. Tell me about that. Well, you know, it's um, – let's, let's go ahead and blame it on Coach Tucker. You know, <laughs> 30 – well, now that I've been here 30, so 65 to... Let's, yeah, I was going to say, go you've been here 60, 30 years. Let's go 65 years ago. Carl was in the process of figuring out how he was going to build this dynasty at BYU. And he's had, I mean, when I came in, I mean, you had Titleist and Ping, who were your main sponsors. And that's Both. like the best of the best. Yeah, because you got, you know, you, you got, got different a ball equipment. shoe, glove deal with Titleist. And equipment if you wanted it. And then you had Ping, who starts with the golf bag. And then they give travel gear, your uniforms, blah, 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 blah. Everything that you could possibly want as a college golfer, those are your two sponsors. And so Carl started that with Wally Uline many, many years ago, 60 years ago. And we've been a title of school ever since. And Mm. so when I came in or when that Nike – you know, the ex- exclusive Nike deal. How long has that been? I don't know. It's been when quite it a while, but I asked them. I just said, you know, I'm not going to ask you for much. I'll do whatever you want me to do. But I just said, this Nike deal is awesome, but what we have is a whole different deal. So please leave us alone. And for whatever reason, <laughs> they were able to leave us alone, and we've been with Ping and Titleist ever since. Interesting. May- I'm thinking maybe 80s. At least '90s for the Nike deal, if not more. You think? What do you think? It seems more like it seems more like 2000. I don't know. Oh, that late? when they were doing okay. the contract. It, well, we know they did the stupid bibs in football <laughs> in the late '90s, so it was at least then, right? Yeah, it's after that. <laughs> when when you had to go where the whole athletic department, you know, we've all oh, I got been you. That, you, you. I know, got you. That's when we had not to, just football or basketball. That's right. Yeah. And I think there's two or three of our teams uh, in the athletic department right now that have. Certain deals, um, volleyball, volleyball might be one of them, men's, mm. but it's um, – With the ball I don't only? know that that's changed now. You know, that, that's changed a little bit, yeah. Yeah, no ASICs. It's Nike. There you go. Yeah, I think with the ball, though, that's regulated by the NCAA. Like it, and I guess it, it, I think men's basketball and women's might use a Wilson. They use a Nike. Then they go play in the NCAA tournament, and it's a Wilson, I think. But yeah, it's it's what it's funny to talk about. Right, I, I like this. Okay, so um, you're playing at BYU. You have a very successful career, as you talked about. Are you like, yeah, I totally want to be an assistant coach here, and then coach the rest of my life? What's what's the thought process when you graduate? Are you trying to play pro at this point? You know, Are great you- question. I was, um, I I had no intentions of getting married when I was in college. I wanted to play college. You're the anti BYU student. Yeah. I, well, no. <laughs> I just I had golf uh, on my mind, right? Focus. And I just wanted to play golf and not be bothered with it. But then you f- you meet the you know the girl of your dreams, and and that goes really quick. You get married, and then you're trying to play college golf and and do that and drag her through that. And then you know when I graduate, I start working for Carl as the assistant, 
and he starts putting stuff in my head where, you know, he's done with his career. He's setting and he you up? he said to me on the lift up at Sundance, he goes, Bruce, I just want During you to know. During ski class? Yeah. No, no. Oh. We're just skiing. Oh. We can call it ski class. <laughs> You're skiing in skiing And he says to me, this is where I remember, he says, hey, Bruce, you know, I'm going to retire here in the next few years. And he goes, you would be my number one choice to take over for me if I have that choice. Mm. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? I said, be able to coach at BYU? I said, I've absolutely loved my four years playing golf at BYU. There's nothing like it, right? I mean, you got to remember, I am a golf junkie. I don't do a whole lot of anything other than just spend outside practicing and doing certain things. And so when he said that, it kind of started a little bit of a, you know what? I'm a decent golfer, but I also remember the guys that are the first team All-Americans, two of my teammates that could beat my brains out, if you will, on any given day. And then the guys that are, you know, the Scott Verplanks and the Billy Andrades and some of those guys that are winning all the collegiate events, the first team All-Americans, I haven't, I haven't touched those guys. So I'm thinking, you know, that kind of started – a little bit of a detour of me playing professional golf. So that's that's kind of what happened there. And then when um, Coach said that, I thought to myself, you know, is that really? And so I started thinking about, you know, I got to get my degree, and then I'm going to get a master's degree, and then I'm going to be a member of the PGA. I'm going to get all that done. So when Carl does decide, I'm going to have at least a little bit of a resume. Mind you, I had no business, and he had—he really had no business talking about that because, you know, about that time, I mean, you got Glenn Tuckett in there. You got the athletic director, and I, you know. Luckily, Glenn wasn't that opinionated about anything. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn was off the charts great Yeah, and, yeah. because, you know, he's the guy that uh, I, I can go all day talking about those things and, and how it all went down, but uh, it was it was one of those things where, that was the turning point where I started thinking, you know, maybe college athletics and uh, what I was going to have to do to put myself in that position. Hmm. At this point, are you thinking, uh, you know, yeah, he's right. I, I should be the guy. But you have some hesitation, you said, because you're like, well, I'm not the most qualified, which is a natural thing to think. Um, and did he have that influence where he could say, I kind of have our guy? Like, like, how did that come about? You know what? That's the way he phrased it, if I remember correctly. He just says, if I have, if they're going to listen to me, if I have a choice, you're my number one choice. And he says, we've had a lot of good kids go through this program. Well, that's, let's just say that that's four years before he retired. And then what we, you know, so I'm his graduate assistant. And then coach gets sick. He has a stroke when Mike Weir and the boys are here. And I remember they're in Texas, and he had a stroke. And, and uh, Glenn called me and said, Bruce, you got to get on a flight and go take care of the guys. And so I went out there, and then that two years, I think it was, maybe three, I was traveling. I remember taking the guys to Japan. Um, I was kind of, you know, he was – his health was good. He was really, really lucky. They didn't think he was going to make it. And all of a sudden, boom, he's back and he's ready to go. But he, you know, he's coaching from the sidelines. He's telling me what to do. Just stay out of the way. Take him where we need to go. And we had some pretty good success. But um, And then he came back and started coaching again. And then that last year with Mike Weir, when those guys went from, 
I think they finished fourth at the national championships at um, down in Monterey at Poppy Hills. That was kind of coach's last, I think that was about 92, 91, 92. And so anyway, I've, I've kind of bounced around a little bit, but that's, that's how that kind of got started. We had a lot of experience and then boom, kind of in the right place at the right time. Uh, got a degree, a master's degree, membership in the PGA, and and Glenn said in so many words that you know it's almost comical that hey we're going to take a shot and and give you the job, and then from there you go up and meet with Elder Ashton and some of those things, and boom you get the job and you're coaching. Did you name your daughter Ashton after Elder Ashton? Is that am I? No, that was one that my wife really liked. <laughs> we we there you know I wanted a uh, what was the name? I wanted a Mackenzie. McKenzie. Which was our daughter before Ashton. And then we fought over, I can't even remember. I'm yeah. a little stressed, right? No, I'm just kidding. But Ashton, <laughs> mom got the name Ashton. Okay, do you feel like because Carl had a stroke that you had more to do at this point and that better prepared you to be ready to perhaps take the job? No question. Mm. You were the acting head coach essentially mm-hmm. for a bit. I, I, you know, again – uh, I'd have to go back and look at some of the, you know, the information that I wrote down at the time. But, you know, to be able to have him right there um, telling you what to do, when to do it, at least, you know, until you left town. And then, you know, he's really, coaching the coach. Yeah, you just you're you're the guy. And, and, huh. I, and again, sometimes the best thing you can do is stay out of their way. And I was pretty good at that because we had a pretty talented team yeah. with Mike Weir and the boys and, and those guys, uh, you know, they had the incentive, coach being sick, hey, we're going to really show up and do what he can't, you know, uh, invited us here to do uh, when we came to BYU. And it was more than enough for Glenn to offer you the job. There you go. It was, uh, it was tough for him, but uh, he gave us the shot <laughs> and 30 years later, we're still at it. I love Glenn. Unfortunately, he passed away yes. late last year. <clears throat> Just time- recently. Yeah. One uh, one time during a baseball game, he was in the stands. This is probably oh, seven, eight, And I was the sideline reporter on the broadcast with uh, Jay Monson and Gary mm-hmm. Shady. Jay has since passed as well. Um, and I, I asked Glenn his opinion kind of as a baseball former baseball coach. And it was very like, what would you do in this situation right now in this game? And he said, well, Jerem, that's not a very good question. <laughs> Which makes me laugh really hard. He just called me out. He didn't think it was a good question. I was, and I thought, you know what, Glenn, you're probably right. You're Glenn Tuckett. I'm nobody. But that wasn't was, that bad of a question. Well, um, I don't even remember what the question is. Probably oh. as a defense mechanism to cope with this moment in my life. Yeah, I'm kidding. Uh, but that showed me the fun personality of Glenn. Just straight shooter. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's, let's get this done. So, love Glenn. He's great. Okay, so you take over. Um, but let's let's not advance that quite yet. Tell me about Carl Tucker. And Carl Tucker needs to be in the conversation of, and he is, of the all-time great coaches at BYU. We talk about Lavelle Edwards with football. We talk about Stan Watts and Dave Rose with men's basketball. We talk about Elaine Michaelis and now Heather Olmstead, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Jen Rockwood. And Carl Tucker is the uh, – Carl McGowan in volleyball. They're these titans of coaching at BYU, yeah. right? And he is on that, you know, multiple-faced Mount Everest. What did he do to build this program? And then later we'll get into sort of you trying to continue that and what you've done in your career. Well, you know, he was a, he was a really good athlete. He loved to play baseball. I think that was a baseball family. Um, so competitive. Carl was, and he, and he loved to compete all the time, even if he was, 
you know, we're out qualifying, he would bring his golf clubs and play. And we always had a little match going on. Um, the guy was an incredible recruiter, and he knew how to read people, in my opinion. He, he, he just had a sense or a knack of picking kids that he thought were going to do well in this environment and um, did an incredible job. I mean, he just, you know, <laughs> like I mentioned, if I haven't, I, I, you just try not to mess up what he did because he did, I mean, his 30 years here were, I think there were 17 conference championships. Um, I mean, just on and on and on. You had uh, Bobby Clampett was the player of the year in 78, 79. Uh, runner-ups in the national championship. I mean, he just, he had a way of getting, um, he knew his guys, he knew what buttons to push to get their attention, and uh, he found a way. And and, and so, I mean, there those are the characteristics that I saw and um, watched him. And, and he just believed in you. If he didn't like what you were doing, you would know. I remember him calling me in the office and just raking me over the coals saying, look, you're not getting the job done. You need to get off your and, – and by doing that – Off your what? I'm just off kidding. Your, yeah. <laughs> you need to get off your butt and get going because it's just not good enough. And, and I walked out of the office and, you know, I, I kind of went, what are you? And, 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 you know, it pissed you off, yep. right? Sure. But he knew exactly what he was doing because he knew that I would go to work. Mm. And after the fact, you know, I would ask him when, when uh, I was coaching and – Coach, why'd you do that? And he'd say, because I knew exactly what you were going to do. He says, now, your teammates, and he brought up a couple of other guys, and he goes, I never talked to them like that because they would have quit. He knew what buttons to push with you. Exactly. Mm. And and the rest of the players. I mean, he knew. Um, I mean, he, f- he figured out a way to get the best out of people, and, and whether it was a belief or, or build them up or tear them down, whatever it was, he figured out a way. That is the challenge of a lifetime because when you're dealing with people, which are not machines, people forget this a lot. Yeah. I love, you know, a calculator. It's pretty simple. I push some buttons, I get what I need. People require nuance. And if you're a parent or a sibling or a friend, everyone can relate to this to some degree, or in this case, a coach, how you push those buttons with a player can be tricky because you don't want to push too far, yet you want to motivate. Yet sometimes, like you said, you have to tear down to build up. And, uh, you know, an athlete in uh, 2022 is different than an athlete in 1982. And there's some nuance there. What are the challenges you encounter being a coach nowadays that, hey, you've had to evolve because you used to have to just rub some dirt on it and get back out there. And now we have way more nuance to student athletics. You know, that's another great question. Um, You've got to figure out a way to inspire and motivate these kids. And they're a whole lot different now than they were before. You know, I've always, I'm, I'm kind of that guy where, you know what, the answer's in the dirt. Go to work and, and get it done. And, and that doesn't always ring really loud or clear nowadays. And so, but there is a way to reach each kid. And, and I'm trying to figure that out. Um, get good people around you. You know, I got Todd Miller, who's worked with us for 15 years. The kid, it doesn't get any better than, you know, what he brings to the table every day. Um, and and anybody else that you can bring in, you know, we've had great volunteer assistance. Again, we don't do a bunch of that, but, 
you know, we brought Danny on this year just because the timing works. We, you know, we're trying to build the best support system for these kids to accomplish their dreams, and that's to be the best they can be when it comes to playing Division One college golf and then hopefully build the foundation for the next level. Um, but right now we're, you know, we got a great group of guys. I was so excited when these kids committed to come to BYU. Now they're here. Now we've got to figure out how to be, you know, direct traffic or get them um, on track to accomplish what they're capable of. But and we, and we've got to do a better job. Always seeking to be better. Certainly, for sure. Um, you've got a new challenge in the Big Twelve coming up in a couple of years. How's golf in the Big 12? Golf in the West Coast Conference is very, very strong. You know, you got the Pepperdine National Champs. National Champs last year. Uh, I think four years ago, we had five of our nine men's teams that went to the NCAA tournament. That's pretty consistent, either three, four, or five. So that's really good. Uh, obviously, the Big 12, um, when the Big 12 this year with Oklahoma, Texas, and Oklahoma State, probably three teams that are in the top 10 every year. Oklahoma State is who will be there in the Big 12, is the dynasty. Everybody wants to go there if you got any, you know, if you have a pretty good game. Uh, their facilities, everything that they do, they just, I mean, you look at the two guys that came out after their sophomore year, uh, Hovland, and um, who's the other one? Um, well, you got Fowler, and then there's one more that's just off the charts. In fact, they're both in the top 20, and these kids left after their sophomore year. Mm. And so it's just a, it's a great program. But all the other teams are like they're, they're chasing Oklahoma State. They want to beat them every time that they have a chance to tee it up with them, and that's what our goal is as well. And so uh, great conference in the West Coast, but the, the Big 12 is going to be a challenge. One thing that's really exciting is the courses that you play for the conference championship. I think Prairie Dunes is in the rotation. Every four years you go to a different location, but the kids look forward to competing at those courses um, all year long because they're just the top of the top, and they're very difficult. And so that will be a challenge for us. And, and uh, like I said, trying to compete, you know, we'll, we'll be ready. You can still do some uh, non-conference, if you will, on the West Coast. You can still the, enjoy that travel, right? Oh, for sure. And yeah. we're going to continue to do that. Our, yeah. our regular season stuff won't change much. Mm. Uh, however, I hope it does change a little bit because I'd like to get out to the Midwest and, mm. and, and play with, you know, some of those teams uh, and, and see what happens because, we, you know, we need to figure out how to be competitive in April and May in that part of the country, and so you better spend some time there. Remind me, was there an NCAA championships there recently that you played at in the Midwest? Where the weather was crazy, yeah. One well, day, remind me. We're talking about yeah. In uh, was it? Uh, we were at, in Stillwater. Yeah, and uh, it got a little crazy. Yeah, and then in Arkansas as well. And in Arkansas, someone hold out from one twenty or something. <laughs> yeah, that was in Stillwater. <laughs> yep. In crazy weather. Yeah, yeah. crazy years weather. Ago. That was our. Was that, that Zach? Was our, that remember. was our Sunday round on Thursday. On Thursday. Yes. Was that Zach? Somebody else. Uh, I want to say that hold out. Was it Fishburn, I think. Oh, maybe it was Ginger Quick. Yeah. Just crazy shot. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so you take over the head coaching job. When do you start to get comfortable as the guy? 
Because I wouldn't want to be the guy. I wouldn't want to be Gary Crump. <laughs> right <laughs> after Lavelle, pressure's you know, on, baby. Look, here's one of the <laughs> biggest challenges. I knew because I grew up here. And, and, right. And, and I knew. knew the tradition. I knew how important it was to Carl. I knew how, how important it was to me. And so to take it over and figure out how to, uh, like I mentioned, not mess it up, um, it took a little while. You know, Coach used to call me. He nicknamed me, and I think I mentioned this at Cougar Day. He, he nicknamed me Win One Soon because it was like <laughs> two or three years into <laughs> my career. We're at the Cougar Classic, and, he, you know, he's our guest speaker. It could have been the first year. But he got up, and he starts telling this joke, and, and you know, he, he brings it up. And he, anyway, I don't know how he put it together, but he left it with Win One Soon, and he's talking about me. And the whole crowd's going crazy, and I thought, boy, I got my hands full here because we haven't come close to winning anything, right? You're like, why am I sweating so much right now? <laughs> so, But that's how it started, and, and, and um, it was just one of those things where I was passionate about it, and I probably sacrificed family and everything else more than I should have chasing this, but I wanted to make sure that uh, – you know, I didn't mess it up. And, you know, there's been – we've had some great years. We've had some decent years, and then we've had some pretty mediocre years. But we've also – there's been a lot of things that have happened. We've had some – you know, had a few tour players, um, quite a few All-Americans, not at the level Carl had it, and then quite a few academic All-Americans. And so – and then we've been able to build some things. This new facility that we have is uh, – going to be off the charts and that puts us on a little bit different plane if, if you will with recruiting and so hopefully the guy that carries it on after that that'll be a you know leave it at least healthy enough to where the tradition continues that Carl built so many years ago. You're talking about Fox Hollow? Yes. Tell me about that that's pretty cool that you're working on that facility I've, I've seen it in person I need to go inside it but uh, <laughs> we need to get you out there. Yeah yeah. Um, it, it, it's it's just one of those things where we have so many people in the community that are so supportive and they know what we need to help us. To have Riverside Country Club is off the charts. We can't survive without Riverside Country Club. That's been here. Carl got that deal arranged, let's say, 50 years ago would be my guess, mm -hmm. maybe 55. Pre-Nike deal. Whatever, yes, pre-Nike. But whatever it was to be able to play at Riverside, uh, the condition and have the support of the members, is, is uh, it just doesn't get any better than that. But what we do did need to do is because the golf ball, the technology in the golf ball flies so far, the range that's over there, um, it, the ball just goes too far. And so it's almost not functional for our kids, our student-athletes, to practice – their long game over there. Long story short, we had friends of the program come over and, and just say, hey, um, there's a spot over at Fox Hollow. There's four and a half acres. What do you think? And I said, let's just find us something. Long story short, uh, about four, four and a half years ago, we had a guy come in and say, look, I'm going to give you a certain amount of money and I want to help you, but you got to do it now. And long story short, the next thing you know, about June of 2018, we're over there pushing dirt, cleaning junk out of the area, and we've got four greens outside in 18. And then we get this wild hair, we're going to do this 8,000-square-foot building. Well, we have enough money to buy the building, so we buy it. 
and it lays on the ground for a year and a half until we have enough money to put it up in the air. And so, yeah, there, there's a great story behind it. Up in and, the air? Yeah, just to put the bill. It was a steel building, and it was laying on the ground, but it cost money to put, you know, to put it up. Like a like a roof? Yeah. Oh, Put gotcha. the walls up and yeah. the roof. Oh, anyway. gotcha. Well, we've had great friends of BYU Golf uh, over the years, and in the last four years, we've been able to put together a practice facility that, number one, gives Riverside Country Club and its members a little bit of a break um, from both the teams. You know, when you have 10 men and 10 women out at Riverside at the same time, the members probably get a little bit uncomfortable. Ryan Smith and, so, and Dwayne Wade are like, like, hey, we need some time we, on the yeah, course, we, right? We need, we need a tee time Come and on. we need some spot on the green. So... What we did was went out and we built a practice facility where the kids could kind of, you know, Division One athletics. Everybody's got to have their own facility. You got to have your own locker room. Is rooms. this normal? Uh huh. For the big time programs. Yep. Okay. There's so we're, probably we're catching up. There's probably seventy five to a hundred programs out of the three hundred and ten Division One golf teams that have their own facility, if you will. Mm, okay. And so what we did was we embarked on that, and now we have a place out there that uh, is very functional. It's great when there's snow on the ground and when there's not. I was going to say, because sometimes you guys go into a practice facility, they lower a curtain, you blast it into that. It's not the most ideal situation, but if you can go to this facility, that's pretty cool. But I will say this, that indoor practice facility is off the charts because they've netted it. It's very functional for certain parts of the game, and we've used it all the time. Tell me more about that process. That you're the IPF? Well, they've, they've netted it. Like, are yeah, you that, aiming at a certain oh, yeah. target well, or something? You've got, you've got that big building. You're not what just hitting we, it. We're 130 yards long, maybe, 140. We're going to get Ryan Rico out there, and he's going to punt, and we'll see. Yeah, whatever it is, we're going to get somebody. Plus. But you, just so you know that they, for all the teams, not just golf, but everybody, lacrosse and baseball and softball, that ball flies far. And rather than flying into the cinder block all the time, which it still does, there's netting from about 15 feet up all the way to the roof. So whether it's a golf ball, a baseball, softball, soccer ball, whatever ball, football, obviously football built it, um, the nets keep it from hitting windows and into mm-hmm. the steel beams. And so it's very functional for all of our teams. It's been, I mean, Mike Weir's one of those guys that he comes down when he's in, you know, in town and there's snow on the ground. He'll come in and, and he'll hit balls with the guys. And he says, wow, I wish I would have had this when I was here. Seriously, what what did you do? Were when you we in the we Smith's in Fieldhouse the, that's Annex? That's a great question. Annex. Well, Ty Emmer went to Heisman, be... then he's training in there. <laughs> Like what is this? <laughs> One of the greatest things ever is in the in the Smithfield house in the annex. That used to be AstroTurf. Back and when AstroTurf in, used to be cool. It, when it was cool. <laughs> and inside that netting would be the men's and women's golf team hitting golf balls for two hours. Inside that, you know, so the track team would be running around the track. Mm-hmm. We'd be hitting golf balls inside so the ball would fly maybe 30, 40 yards. That's where all of Carl's tour players, which were many, that's where they practice. You can do it with any practice facility in For theory. Sure. When you when you have guys like he was getting the <laughs> if you're best, an all American, if you're an all American, you got that right. <laughs> he would get the best player on the West Coast, pretty much every year. Did he get the best player from Provo every year? 
He didn't come to Provo very often. I'm alluding to you. <laughs> he uh, he got one that really was passionate about it nice. when I was there. That's the you know you, you at least have that. Um, okay, have you played with Ryan Smith and Dwayne Wade at Riverside? I have not played with Ryan Smith and Dwayne, but I have okay. played with Ryan. Can, and he, can Ryan, he play? He can play. He can, I heard he can play basketball look, too. That's what I hear. I haven't watched it, but I hear he's he's pretty good. And he's a good but golfer. He lo- he's a really good golfer. Wow. For a guy that doesn't play much, and especially now because he's pretty busy. Why? What's he doing? Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what's he do? But the beauty of it is, is uh, he, Brian, I've played with Ryan Smith two or three times, and I'd love to play with Ryan when he's playing with Zach Blair because those two dudes go at each other all the time. <laughs> and I love to play with Ryan when Danny Ainge and Brian Santiago are in the group because that is a great foursome. Uber competitive? Guys, oh, very competitive, yes. In yeah. fact, I have to tell you, Ryan Smith and Danny Ainge, at least three years ago, took me and Brian down, and I'm still waiting for the rematch because I'm, oh. I'm still hot because Ainge – he likes to pop off a little bit more than he should, but I'm going to get him <laughs> next time. <laughs> You're like, I have this uh, vision of you from when I was a kid. and No, that's funny. Well, it's funny. In The Last Dance, there, there was a story in that doc about the Bulls. Jordan says, and, and people think that Danny Ainge may have you know, lost the, the series because he fired up Jordan on the golf course. I think, was it with the Suns, I think, on an off day? Yeah. Because then he played with the Blazers against the Bulls as well. I was a kid in Portland watching that, yeah. cr- crying over the Blazers losing. That's a funny story. Okay, what's the relationship with Tony Fino in the program? Because he's like, he's like uber supportive of everything here. Like, oh, yeah. it, no, like you Utah know, and BYU. You know, and, uh, and again, it's cool. My Tony Fino, I remember being in his home, right? Recruiting him. Recruiting him, for sure. Did he come in Recruiting him, yes. Oh. <gasps> I've heard this story. I've never confirmed it with you. But the beauty of it, it doesn't really matter. What happened with Tony <laughs> Finau is fabulous. But my part of the story is this. I was in his home. You know, they were homeschooled. Both Tony and Gipper were there. And I, Rose and Park I just, kid. Yes, right? both Rose Park kids. Yep. I'm in that home. Solid and set. I just said, hey, I just want you to know that there's enough time here where I want you to come and play golf at BYU. So we worked with them. They had to do a lot of extra work. Tony, my recollection, talking to his counselor at West High School, the kid made up all of his hours Mm. to be eligible to go to BYU, okay? And there was a time where he committed to go if he was able to make up that, his, his grades. He did that. I was excited to have him coming, and then... The ta- they started getting really, really good excitement coming from guys that could hit the golf ball so far. And then in April of that year, I was at the U.S. Open watching him, and he came up to me. He goes, Coach, I just want you—I don't want you to waste your time anymore. I'm going to turn pro. And I said, Tony, give me 15 minutes with you and your parents. And he goes, it's too late. We're moving on. And with that, I said, okay, I'm taking the high road. And we watched him, and we watched him, and we watched him. And, and unfortunately, and it didn't sudden, turn out. It, it didn't turn out. I would, <laughs> hey, if, if there were, you know, I love the fact that you say he's very supportive of BYU because he is. Yeah. By the way, he loves coming over to our practice facility and working on his game. Oh, that's great. It's, it's just where n- nobody can get to him. Mm. He loves it. That's awesome. And then, um, but the beauty of it is, is that kid, 
he just was bound and determined, and it's unbelievable to see what he's done with his professional golf career because he, it took him, you know, like most golfers when they go from college golf, it takes a few years before you make it on the PGA Tour. And he took his time, but what he's doing is, is just amazing. He's amazing. Um, tell me about Polynesians in golf because this is sort of a new development, which is awesome. We're seeing it on the women's team. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it like with, I guess, kids that are coming from different backgrounds that are now playing golf? Because traditionally, this has not been a sport that's been super diverse. But it feels like it's getting more diverse, which is awesome. And I think that's, you know, the game of golf. Um, I think the PGA Tour, I think um, the NCAA is trying to reach, you know, more people with their, the way, you know, with setting up stuff in junior golf, if you will. I don't have the answer to why, but it's neat to see these young kids that are Polynesian or any other ethnic, you know, background or where they come from, see them playing golf because it, it and, and then to have them be so successful at a young age, because there are a lot of young kids that are really good. And it, and it almost feels like junior golf's at a, you know, each year it gets better, like all the other sports. But even in junior golf, um, throw out Charlie Woods, there's a lot of kids. And, again, I don't want to compare because what we saw with him and his dad three or four weeks ago in that father and son. That was fun. It was unbelievable to watch that kid swing the golf club almost to the point where it might even be better than dad. But there's a <laughs> ton of kids yeah. that are playing at that age that are – Shooting scores that you just you you roll your eyes and say, "Are you kidding me?" Wow, pretty neat. That's cool. That's very cool. Um, okay, you you still you still play often? You still like have that? And you know what? I want to play drive. I went You're not that old. I went twenty. You know, it's funny. A good friend of mine, Mike Stanger, who just recently passed. Um, he and I have been friends. He was another one of those kids that grew up at Riverside Country Club, but when COVID hit. And we couldn't go recruit. He'd go, come on, coach, let's go play. Let's go play. It's, you know, I'm in the Utah section. Let's go play in the the Price Open or, or some of these one-day events. Well, anyway, I, no, I, I don't have time. I don't have time. Well, he just signed me up. It had been 25 years since I played in the Provo Open. Because coach came to me one day and said, look, if you're going to do this job right, you got to quit playing and go to work, right? Go recruit and do stuff. Was that hard? You've no, been playing forever. No, because I was kind of phasing out anyway. Gotcha. But he just said, that's that's what I would recommend. And then after that, two years later, he goes, why don't you play anymore? I said, coach, you just told me to go to work. <laughs> so, but, so it was almost 22 to 25 years that I had not played in a tournament on my, on my own golf ball. That's a and, long time. Yeah, a long time. Well, I went down to the Palisades Open because Stanger wasn't taking no for anything. So me, Mike Stanger, and uh, Eric Nielsen – and don't remember who our fourth was. We played probably in the last two years, we played six opens together. And I think I've snuck in there and won a couple of times. But that's because nice. all the other section guys didn't play very well. <laughs> so every once in a while, I got a little bit of heat. Hey, that's why Utah football won a Pac-12 title, because USC wasn't good. <laughs> and neither was Oregon. That's my opinion. Okay, we'll leave it at that's, that. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, t- tell me about the team this year. Um, what do you love? What are you excited about? Again, this is a group of kids, a lot of local kids, where this group has had 
some big-time schools coming in, recruiting these guys. And, and Coach Miller and myself, we worked really hard at trying to keep them here. Well, they're here now. And like I said, um, we're excited about this group of kids and what we can accomplish. Because, you know, it, it, um, most of the kids, we've got a kid from Arizona, kid from Hawaii slash Hawaii to uh, Pleasant Grove, a couple of kids from Salt Lake. I'm probably missing somebody. We do have a South American coming in next year. Um, again, we a lot of local kids who I think are talented, and we want to we want to try to compete at the highest level. And so we're gonna go get after it and and see if we can do that. Thirty years. Have you ever been uh, tempted or offered to go elsewhere, and and why stay and continue at BYU? I think you know that. I, I had a chance to go to Oklahoma, and, and it was a very unique situation. Um, but I, uh, Val Hale was the athletic director, and the AD from Oklahoma called and said, hey, we want to talk to your coach. And um, uh, I flew out there, and I knew the coach that they had fired, and he had won a national championship like six or seven years before. And so I was going in there a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm a little uneasy about it. But I got there. I met with Stoops. I met with – it was a great experience and, and really quite cool. Um, there were two other guys that had been there too who are good friends of mine. And so went in there. Um, I think they offered the job to another guy. He turned it down, and then they offered it to me. And, and um, it was one of those things where – Oklahoma State is the place, and Oklahoma's trying to say we want every bit of that. And I just, there were a lot of reasons why I was thinking, you know what, I'm going to go tackle this. But there were a few things that said, boy, do I really want to get up every day and try to beat that over there, which was Oklahoma State, who Mike Holder, who was since, who won national championships, I think he won three, four, or five of them, was the AD, has since retired just in the last two years. Um, I just, I wasn't sure I wanted to do that. It, the, the offer wasn't what I expected, and so I decided to come back here, and when I got back here, it was probably the best raise that I've ever had. So that was kind of cool. Mm. That's awesome. So that's that's I'm kind taking of a, notes on how to do that. <laughs> I just need to be, uh, you know, courted by somebody that's pretty good. No, that's amazing. So well, that, I don't know if that's what you want. That answers, okay. yeah, yeah. No, 100%. Um, 30 years is a long time, man. It really is. How, how much longer are you going to be here? Hopefully a long time. That's a great question. I, I No, no, because, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I'm going to, as as long as I can be effective and, and I can help these kids get where they want to go, then I can see myself uh, staying and, and – uh, who knows? You know, will it be another 10 years? Will it uh, be two years? We'll see. Well, at least get us to the Big 12, okay? Oh, yeah. Well, I think That's a year two years we're going to be there, right? Yeah. Okay. It's coming up quick. You bet. It's, you know, and, and like I said, it's, I feel like I was in the right place at the right time. They gave me an opportunity, and to be here 30 years has just been, uh, there's not a better job on campus, in my opinion. And there, so it's there almost isn't. been... Uh, 30 years of just other than the stress that I put myself through and a few of the administrators that, you know, they like to chew on you a little bit, which they should. <laughs> you know, other than those kind of things, it's it's been uh, an, a, an absolute uh, uh, dream. And, and so we, we hope we'll continue to influence kids' lives and, 
help them get a degree and, and uh, be better in their communities and everything else they do. Well, it's fun to watch your team. You, they're awesome, and they're good dudes. It's fun to interview them and, and talk to you on the reg. And good luck with everything. We look forward to uh, a great season again from BYU Men's Golf. Thank you. Okay, that'll do it for us. For Bruce Brockbank and producer Tanner Graff, I am Jerem Jordan. You can listen to previous episodes on the BYU Radio app or where podcasts are found. You've just listened to Deep Blue on BYU Radio.